Right, hello everyone, and welcome back to the Strangers in a Cinema podcast. I think we're now on episode 21, is that right, Pete? We're on exactly 21, Paul, and it feels really good to be back, actually, back in this uh, dimly lit room full of movie memorabilia once more, because it seemed like, for a little while there, this here podcast might actually be dead, and that is not the case. We've resurrected it and brought it back to the, the baying... We missed it, and we missed you, and I think at least four people asked if we were doing it again. Yeah, and that that was enough, you know, that groundswell was enough to bring us back. I mean, both of us... That's all it took, guys, four people. Yeah, anyone who's listened to this show before knows that, you know, whatever we're doing, whatever we're reviewing, and however good or bad you might think the show is, we love doing the show, we love talking about films, and we're glad that we've given ourselves the opportunity to do that again. So, I'm really looking forward to today's show. We've made a few changes... Not least in personnel, Paul, right? There's been a little tweak there. Well, producer Connor, um, he's got a face only fit for radio. Uh, he's now gone back to a producer role, so you won't hear his voice on the podcast anymore. He's a busy man. He's doing he's doing very good things. Um, he'll still be editing the podcast. He'll still be involved. Yeah. But his brief tenure, uh, having not watched any of the films that we've seen, is now over on the podcast. Yeah, we, we did decide at a certain point that we might have to make an executive decision about whether a regular contributor to a film podcast might actually need to watch a film or two. <laughs> so uh, Connor's been given uh, you know, a, a little bit of time to mend his ways. No, but th- there's been absolutely no problems between the three of us. Obviously, yeah, as Paul says, in the producer role, he's fantastic and knows far, far more than we do. Where, yes. You know, which is a pretty low bar to jump, but he jumps it with, with aplomb. It so, does. yeah, it's been all of nine months now. Is it nine months? Something it like, like that. It does it feel like an I've awfully, you, Pete. Well, awfully I long seen time. You nine months. Yeah, I mean, a fraught nine months to some extent, I think, on either side of this conversation. Yes. But also with lots of good times and lots of good film experiences in that time and lots to catch up on tons and tons of content so the challenge that we've really had with this show is just making sure we keep ourselves below sort of three hours right yeah we're gonna go for something around 45 minutes and we're gonna try and keep that quite regular for the show so that you know you're getting a regular dose of sort of quality rather than pure quantity which uh, (laughs) would be a danger that we might you know slip into at some point in the future so with that in mind we've put a kind of structure in place uh, and we think we've been very creative here where we've compared it we are strangers in a cinema Mm. and what we've done Pete and you know this is mainly Pete's creation I'll give him credit for that is to try and emulate your trip to the cinema so we will start at the beginning of your trip to the cinema yep and we will end at the end of your trip to the cinema that's right Paul I mean yeah as you say as strangers in a cinema we literally met as two people who had been to numerous films in the same screening room but didn't know each other then we met caught up on the fact that we watch films all of the time and so yeah as you say we brought that to the podcast what we're going to do in the first section of each show we're going to do something called the popcorn counter i like it like yes. it, like at the, when you go into a cinema and there's a popcorn counter you know you how it is popcorn. we've yes. all been there you go up that escalator and you turn to the right and there's really long queues and you avoid them and go straight into the screening because you just want to watch a film and not buy any popcorn right but, but a, we're going to do the popcorn but counter. but imagine you know <laughs> joe average he walks up to the popcorn counter and he's got to make a decision he's got to buy either sweet or salty popcorn so what we're going to go for here is a little roundup of films that we've watched recently but instead of the slightly baggier section that we used to have we're going to do one sweet film each we're going to do one salty film each sweet here is going to denote something that was either 
sweet. Like, bro, that was sweet. You beat me to that one. You beat <laughs> me to that one. An incredibly good film, something that we strongly recommend. Or it could be something maybe a bit saccharine. So not good, bro. So no, not, not so That'd sweet, That would be bro. salty, wouldn't it? That would be salty. Well, bro. yeah. The other side of this coin is salty movie reviews, which are going to be reviews of films that we either feel angry about, disappointed in, or maybe just films that are a little bit difficult to stomach, whether they're horror films that are particularly gory or disturbing, or maybe they're black comedies that are the blackest of the black. That'll be one of mine for today. So without further ado, we will get into that section, but I just want to outline the, the rest of the, the lineup for this show. Second section, Paul, what are we going to do there? Second section, we're going to do coming attractions. So, you've bought your popcorn, yes. you go to the cinema, yes. you sit down, you sit through your shitty adverts. We're not going to do a shitty advert. We're not doing we any might. commercials. But we if might, anyone wants to you know, throw that sponsorship pound <laughs> yeah. our way, we'll do that section. So, we can throw an advert, so I'm well open to that. But after adverts, you get, boom, trailers or coming attractions. Yeah. There. In this section, in the coming attractions section, we will talk about a film each that we are excited about. It won't be a very long section because we won't know much about the film but we will give you a reason that you should be excited about it as well. Absolutely. We all know that ambivalence that we have as regular film goes about trailers, which is they can be incredibly exciting. We love getting there for the trailers because we'll get excited about what's coming up, but they can also be rather frustrating because they can show a bit too much of the films that which we're anticipating. we're going to touch on more later. Exactly, Paul. Yeah, today we're going to go into a conversation as well, a short conversation there about our views on the state of trailers at this point compared with you know trailers that we've seen all our lives the last... What is it now? 21 years each we've been alive. Correct, yes. F following, <laughs> following that section, of course you know what's coming, we're going to get to the feature. The feature is the main reason that you come to the cinema, and it's also the, maybe the main reason that you come to a particular episode. In the feature section, we will either have a feature, which is a longer form review of one film worthy of note that we've both seen. Similar to the thing we did with Interstellar or Blue Ruin when we first started up. Back in the day, back in the day when we were <laughs> just young bucks on our podcasting journey. And there's also an alternative situation where we might do a double feature. We review two films and maybe a slightly shorter review for each of those. That brings us to the final section of each show. Paul, what's that? the credits right you know that moment the film credits roll and a lot of people are going to take their thanks for their involvement in the filmmaking process but what is that going to involve in terms of our show please enlighten that's right. going to be a focus on either one of either both of us are going to have a go or i think in the case of this week we're both going to throw our hats in the ring and go okay look this is a filmmaker working today this is an actor maybe this is a stunt man maybe it's a visual effects guy someone like that that deserves credit it could be someone well known like it will be today it could be someone that works in the background so credits so we will give credit to the people we think deserve credit absolutely. i can't say credit anymore so i'm passing back to you <laughs> absolutely i mean it's a it's a broad church that particular area but it, yeah as paul's explained it's just an opportunity to shed some light on maybe someone that listeners might not know so much about maybe someone you're familiar with but you haven't got through all of the back catalogue and we can go over some of that there's a lot that we can do with that section we're excited for the further iterations but as Paul mentioned for today we're going to be focusing on a filmmaker that is dear to both of our hearts and giving some credit to that uh, male or female later on in the show finally obviously we'll close out with our usual contact details so at this point there is a palpable sense of excitement emanating from the internet 
And that is because we're gonna jump straight in, Paul, to the popcorn counter. You've walked into the cinema, my friend. You've walked up to that counter. You're gonna make your selection of popcorn. What are you gonna go for first this week? I'm going for salted popcorn first. Okay. I need to get it out of the way. Okay, um, he's gone salty. Now, a lot's been said about this film already, and none of what I say should really be a surprise, but I'm going to talk briefly about the crushing disappointment that was Suicide Squad. Come at me, Paul. I've seen this film as well, and I'm really interested to hear what you have to say about it. The whole film is just a bloody trailer, would be my first my first criticism of it. It opens, it opens basically with the trailer, which was great. Then it just is the trailer, and there's character, the characters are introduced, little vignettes, then it starts the vignettes again, then it seems to introduce the characters again, and then what it vaguely resembles a plot starts about halfway through with some really flat action scenes and some pretty naff CGI. Mm. <sighs> yeah. Not finished, but go on. Yeah. What are your thoughts, Pete? I, I want to jump in here only to say that I, I really very, very strongly connect and sort of co-sign on what you're saying here in terms of the fact that Suicide Squad felt like a film that just was having a really hard time getting started because we had character introduction, character introduction, character introduction, one after the other after the other, and the running time is just passing you by and you think, when are we getting to the meat of this story? And when we get there, Paul, when we get to the meat of the plot of Suicide Squad, how did that strike you? I mean, did it work? The story as it was in the film, did it work for you at all on any level? No. No, no, short, no. None at all. No, I didn't really rate. I didn't really rate the villains. The villains' motivation. I don't know why the villain couldn't have just done that plan without the rest of without the rest. Are of you the are you talking part. here about Cara Delevingne doing like a belly dance? Was that's, that just... that's one of the better bits of the film. Um, <laughs> right. It's quite easy to enjoy that from a male perspective, but it doesn't save the film. Those, Neither... are, those eyebrows are mesmerizing. No, I just I just didn't think the film had a lot going for it in terms of a plot. What little is there is very very thin and doesn't really start till the second half of the film, and then you kind of get a vague thinly veiled kind of Ghostbusters ripoff towards the end yeah. and it's it's not helped by the fact that these guys are supposed to be villainous You're spo they're supposed to be anti-heroes and actually they're not I don't think they're evil enough mm. um, Will Smith comes across as more of a standard kind of hero than anti-hero to be perfectly honest decent enough performance but Will Smith being Will Smith is entertaining Yeah, I didn't really rate the performance of Harley Qu as Harley Quinn though Right. I have to say That's... Margot Robbie disappointed me a bit a lot of people talked her up I thought it was quite average yeah it's, I think it's divided people a little bit that one hasn't it because there's been a lot made of the fairly obvious and predictable objectification of, of Margot Robbie and her uh, behind which features prominently in this yes. film the camera is quite fond of Margot Robbie's butt but aside, but aside, but aside from that, Paul. But aside from that, you know, you say that it didn't really strike a chord with you. Or it wasn't a great performance. Was there anything in particular that was disappointing? About I just expected her? a bit more energy about her, to be honest. Mm. And I think we said just after we'd seen it, her accent is all over the shop. It seems to be she needs a kind of Brooklyn, New York accent. So I'm probably some comic book guys are going to correct me on that. But that's the kind of accent I was expecting to speak with. And I don't think the accent's strong enough. I don't think she's. She's necessarily crazy enough. I think she's got, much like all of the characters, she's got too much of a heart and isn't just an out-and-out -out psychopath. Yeah. Then you go on to Jared Leto's Joker, who I thought, again, was another disappointing character and, again, didn't do enough with the role, wasn't out-and-out -out scary enough. Yeah, well, I almost felt with, with Jared Leto like he was almost trying too hard. And so it, it struck me a, a bit as a bit inauthentic, maybe a bit like your criticism of Margot Robbie, but for a slightly different reason. But I wanted to ask you one more thing. You, you've said that the film has obviously not blown you away. You have a salty opinion of this coming back to our theme for the yeah. show. 
this film was a 12A. What impact did that have on the film? Because for me, it was a it was hamstrung from the start by it certification. The, the whole film was hamstrung by certification. The whole film was also hamstrung by the critical failure of Batman vs Superman because people criticise Batman vs Superman for being too dark. Problems with Batman vs Superman are not that it's too dark; it's just not a very good film. And you can tell you can. It's not even the certification that's hamstrung it. There's other things as well. You can tell there's certain scenes where characters make jokes to each other, and you can tell that shot's been cut into the middle of another scene. So. It doesn't even feel like a film, and if the rumours are, to, are to be believed, the edit in the film is apparently outsourced to the guys that originally made the trailer. Mm. Now, that explains a lot. David Ayer claims it was his final cut. I'm not convinced I believe him, in all honesty. It's just an absolute shambles of a film that should never have been released in the state it was released in. Damn. Okay, if you haven't seen it, maybe that's one, that one's worth a swerve, I think, uh, judging by well, both of our sort of opinions on, on Suicide Squad. There were good things in there, here and there, but... You know, like salty popcorn, maybe it leaves a bit of a bit of taste in the mouth. It does, yes. It was ultimately a bit flat. Yeah. Um, okay, let's sweeten this up. I've got a pick for a sweet film that I've seen of late. And sweet here, I'm going for Dude. Dude, this was this was sweet. <laughs> Just something that really, really impressed me. It's uh, available to stream on Netflix UK if you're listening in the UK and elsewhere, I'm sure, as well. Other streaming sites are available. They are, yes. They haven't sent us any money at this point. Um, this is Appropriate Behaviour. Appropriate Behaviour is a, a Brooklyn set indie film directed by and starring a girl called Desiree Akavan. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Desiree Akavan is the absolute beating heart of this film. What we've got is essentially a walk and talk, coming of age, finding of self, exploration of what it's like to be in New York, in specifically Brooklyn, and coming to terms with, in her case, her sexuality, she's gay, and her sexuality as it relates to her family who are Iranian and are understandably not openly embracing the idea of having a gay daughter. However, this is not, for example, a film I talked about a little while ago on the show actually, A Separation mm. is, is all about an Iranian marital separation and it really taps into what that might be like in Iran and what that might be like in that real social situation. Here, we know that we're in America. This girl is contemporary to a fault. She's a little awkward in her own skin, but she's also just utterly cool and a part of and at peace with Brooklyn and Brooklyn's sort of art scene. Um, the girl herself has made appearances on Girls. I think that shows maybe or gives you an idea of, of the kind of actress yeah. that, that she is or where she's come up. But um, yeah, really impressive. It sounds a lot like a little bit trite kind of standard indie fare with the sort of very fairy trailer and the kind of sort of guitar based music you know the kind of indie film I'm talking about mm. what what takes it out of that what rises it above that I don't know if you had the chance to see Jenny Slate's film Obvious Child no. but it's it's not the same film but by any stretch and I actually think it's a better film but this film has a real sense of authentic emotion about it even in the way she places her camera even in the way she holds shots a little bit longer than they might be held in the film that you're describing right mm. so instead of feeling that this thing is is trite and unrelatable i said it's brooklyn and it's new york and it's iranian family values yeah but those things become secondary to the sort of universal understanding that the audience i think would have that these are issues in some form that we all deal with right whatever it is whether it's our sexuality whether it's our personality whether it's our relationship with friends whether it's our ongoing relationships romantically 
to me, I haven't seen a film in, in a little while, actually, that I felt was so from the heart, meant something, and had kept most of its integrity, if not all, so in the final act. It doesn't overplay the elements that a lot of directors can use to patronise in effect, like the Iranian family and a lot of American filmmakers. I imagine they'd be they kind of would be a bit quaint and uncomfortable. So does it use those... Does it avoid those kind of be, things? Because we're so focused on Desiree Akhavan's character there is a sense of slightly broad strokes mm. with their family members just because they don't get as much screen time and her uh, she takes a job as a, a kind of primary school helper in a in a center for little kids making films and this is again the kind of story device that in the film that you were alluding to would be just sickeningly trite yeah but she manages to pull it off and I'm genuinely excited to see what she does next. I mean, she's all of 30 years old, which is fairly sickening. She might even be 29. Um, <laughs> but I think a huge, huge talent. And, you know, it's a bit like the way I felt about um, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, where we've got a, a smart, insightful female director yeah. really handling a, a material with aplomb. So for me, sweet this week. Okay. Well, while you're at it, I think I might have a handful of your sweet popcorn, if oh, that's okay. Get in there, sir. Um... David Brent, Life on the Road. Really? Tell yes, me. Tell me about really. this. I was very, very cynical when I saw that this film was coming out because I absolutely adore the original UK office. Um, and again, very cynical, thought, no, this isn't working. Leave Brent alone. It doesn't, it doesn't often work for me with TV movie, with TV series turned into movies, not TV movies. And yeah, very, very cynical. And I have to say, I almost went in with a sour face initially, which isn't the way I should go in. But I was very, very pleasantly surprised. It was a lot of fun, a lot of fun throughout. Mm. Um, Gervais has clearly remembered what makes Brent funny, which is good. Although it doesn't, I would say it doesn't have any classic David Brent moments. It's consistently laugh out loud funny mm. um, from start so, to finish, really. So my question really to, to set up further your, your sort of opinion is, have you stuck with Ricky Gervais since The Office? Like the output that we've seen from Ricky Gervais since then, there have been feature films. Not really. I've TV kind series. of drifted, to be honest. And this is one of the reasons I was concerned. I, I've drifted away with with some of his, with quite a lot of his output, to be honest. Especially his recent thing, Special Correspondence, the Netflix exclusive. Yes, yeah, I'm was, not even aware of this. Which was just him. He was doing him directing. He just phoned in a performance, and it was it was dreadful. Right. Um. So yeah, again, my expectations went high, but it is it kind of works because although there's there's similarities to the series, none of like the supporting cast aren't back you see it starts up with with brent working in another office uh but he's not the boss so it's quite interesting to see him sort of doing the same old brent routine but where he's not the boss so that's quite interesting and then he essentially goes out on tour with a band so it takes mm. him outside of his comfort zone and yeah he's as socially awkward as ever it kind of makes you feel sorry for him by the end which some people like some people don't it worked quite well for me i think by the end of the office in the Christmas specials, you ended up feeling pitying him a bit anyway. Mm. Um, and the songs are consistently hilarious. There's some, there's some great numbers on Well, them. in that case, like I hope that's testament to just a, a really strong Ricky Gervais performance, because I think that my problem, and why I still haven't seen this film, is because as much as I really did enjoy The British Office, a really great slice of British television, great writing, and a really strong performance from Ricky Gervais, since then, in the ensuing, what, like 10 years or whatever it's been, this kind of misanthropic character seems to me to have merged into just the understanding that Ricky Gervais is a fairly like misanthropic guy who 
has a very high regard for his own comedy, an overestimated sense of his own importance within the comedy scene, and also a rather like mean streak. It feels to me like a lot of his comedy since, and I'm not including in this the new film because I can't, I've mm. seen it, but it's kind of that, that thing that a lot of comics maybe try to, or at least should avoid, which is just shooting down. Ricky Gervais to me seems it's like someone who takes shots at people and issues involving people who can't really defend themselves and I think that's why I've drifted further and further away whereas someone like Carl Pink Pilkington seems you know like a humble fellow yeah, think, guy you know, think, you know what know, I'm saying I think if you you know if you don't like Ricky Gervais this won't change your mind um, mm. and if you don't like The Office you won't like this um, right. but if I like the first series of The Office I'll enjoy this I think so yeah I okay so. cool well that's enough I reckon to persuade me to give mm. it a look um, I'll keep this one as, as short as I can, but I'm very excited to talk about my salty film this week because as I trailed before, yes, Paul, I'm intrigued to see why you find it salty. Cause well, I haven't seen it yet, but I was expecting you to come in and to, to, to all over it to, to, much better to explain uh, what the what Paul was directed at Paul making a sort <laughs> of hand gesture towards me, which made me feel as if I'd done something terribly wrong. <laughs> but talking of things ter terribly, terribly wrong, there is a lot terribly wrong with uh, Todd Solondz's new movie, Wiener Dog. And these things are not wrong because it's a bad film. I think it's actually quite a good film, if not a great one. And if not, definitely not his best work. But yes, uh, let's talk about wrong things. Let's talk about a director who will put into a relatively large-scale indie film an unbroken tracking shot of sausage dog diarrhoea, for example. Let's talk about a director who has Julie Delpy explaining to her, Julie Delpy's character, obviously, explaining to her son a story about why they had to spay the dog using uh, a story from her childhood in which her dog went into the woods and was repeatedly raped by a dog called Mohammed who had rabies and then was never caught and went on ra raping in order to convince this child that their decision to spay the dog is in fact the right decision. Todd Salons, for anyone unaware, is a film director who is very much interested in the stark revelations to children that strip them of their innocence and wide eyes. Is this one step world. too far even for him? No. Okay. No, this is utterly of a piece with to Todd Salons' whole oeuvre, if I can use that word without being sick. I think sick. happiness is probably my highlight of his, of his oeuvre. Yeah, a bit like you said about um, the Ricky Gervais film, uh, the David Brent film, sorry. If you like anything by Todd Salons, you will gobble this up dog diarrhea and all you will gobble this up it's a, a portmanteau film meaning that it's divided into in this case three sections there's sort of three short films and the through line for those who listen to a film podcast that don't know what that is right right we, we attract all sorts yeah. Uh, yeah the through line here is a wiener dog or as we would call it a sausage dog that appears in all three in the first one you've got Julie Dalpy as I mentioned with her husband and a small child the second one features Greta Gerwig and um, one of the Colkins. Uh, Kieran Culkin I think he's grown up uh, and yeah there's a third piece as well which has Ellen Burstyn involved in it and we've both seen oh. Requiem for a Dream but when I hear Ellen Burstyn speak it makes me feel like something in my stomach and I want to cry so this is not an easy ride that's why it's in the salty section here get right down in that salty popcorn it's not going to make you feel sort of euphoric about the state of uh, you know being a human being at the same time it made me laugh out loud as does probably every Todd Salon's film at some point yeah. it's not his best work but for Todd Salon's fans yeah yeah eat it up eat it up out of your dog bowl that's wiener dog <laughs>
Okay, so we've bought our popcorn and eaten it already from the sound of it. So that's good because we finished our popcorn in time for coming attractions. Yes, indeed, man. So sat down here uh, talking about something that I haven't actually seen. I don't even know if I've seen a proper trailer. I've seen like a teaser for this thing. But um, I'm bringing to the table Don't Breathe. And I'm bringing it to the table really for, for one reason. That is, um, recently, Paul, I told you that I have discovered far, far too late in the day the uh, internet site Letterboxd. And Letterbox is like a way of social, sort of, as a social media platform, just reviewing films and, and writing little bits and whatever. Um, on there, I follow certain film reviewers, and they suddenly all started talking about this thing coming up, or they've just seen previews, or they saw it at festivals, don't breathe, and saying things like, I literally couldn't breathe for sections of this film. It's the scariest thing I've seen in so long. I felt traumatized. And this is the kind of thing that's music to my ears, man. Like, if there's a well, film... Good horror should do that to Yeah, you, man. So. If there's a film that makes you feel that strong of a response, then you've at least got to see it, right? Even the trailer if, is pretty fucking cool. Yeah, even if to, to say that, you know, for you it didn't have the same effect. Also, looking into this thing a little bit, the director is Ferdi Alvarez, who we both know from the pretty decent, we reviewed it on the show actually, didn't we? The, the pretty decent remake of The Evil Dead. Anyone who could handle The Evil Dead and not completely ruin it has a certain amount of respect from me. So yeah, I'm really excited to see now what has suddenly become this really hyped up film in my head. I'm going to try not to expect too much so that I'm not disappointed. No, I think but... there's been a lot of hyped films this summer, hasn't yeah, there? Yeah, I mean... In it, we've got one, one person who starred in It Follows and one person who starred in The Evil Dead remake. So, to me, these ingredients adding up to something could be great. What about you, man? What's coming up for you? Well, I'm very excited about the new Denis Villeneuve film, or Denis Villeneuve, I imagine is probably his name is correctly pronounced. Okay. Um, Arrival. Mm. Um, all I really know about this film, well, all I've tried to know about this film, is the awesome teaser trailer... Uh, which involves Amy Adams and Forrest Whitaker, amongst others, mm. and basically uh, what looks like an alien craft lands, and we make contact. Right. And that's all I want to know about the film, okay. and that should be enough. With with Villeneuve's recent output, Sicario, as a, as a touching stone. Yeah. Um, and Prisoners. He's a very talented director, I think. Yeah. Um, amongst other films, that's not the only films he's made. He's started to he's up for doing Blade Runner two as well, which should be interesting. So. I'm very, very intrigued to see his take on sci-fi prior to Blade Runner 2. Yeah. And the whole thing just, just sort of highbrow sci-fi with an air of mystery does, doesn't Yeah, do. man. Once you've got Forrest Whitaker in there, I'm sold. Even in bad films, he's good. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it sounds intriguing. I've not seen that trailer myself, so I'll have to look it up. Well, I would say look up the teaser trailer. Right. And don't look up the full trailer. Okay. This brings us to a semi-feature uh, presentation where I basically I've... I've, I think I'm going to stop watching trailers, Pete. I'm Complete, getting to that point. They play Arrival, turkey on trailers. I'm very tempted to do so. I'm sick and tired of trailers that give away the whole fucking film. This is an interesting thing, given that we've just come up with the coming attraction section of our show. I but know. it's fine. Because I'm you aware can, of this. Paul, you can still get very excited because about films some, without watching trailers. Yes, and there are some great trailers out there. Arrival is a prime example. The Arrival teaser trailer is an example of a perfect trailer. You go, mm. oh, I want to see that. And yeah. it doesn't give anything away. I made the mistake of watching Arrival Trailer 2. Okay. I stopped watching about 20 seconds Full after what I'd already seen. Because it was just the whole bloody film. Now, yeah. Suicide Squad is another example. Sort of, we had a six-minute trailer at Comic-Con. Star Wars are doing it. Why can't we just go back to having... A, directors cut their own trailers so it doesn't give too much away. Mm. Dunkirk. Look at Nolan's trailer for Dunkirk. Now, yeah. again, I believe Nolan cuts his own trailers. I might be wrong. Perfect trailer. 
that should be enough. Undoubtedly we'll see a bit more of it, probably too much. Just stop showing us the whole film. Fast and Furious 7 did it. Every scene of the film was in yeah, it. I don't I mean, understand the need. I mean, this is based on a financial imperative, right? This is based on the idea that the masses, maybe not you and I, but the masses need fully convincing that this film is worth their $10, £10, whatever it might be. And I think that the industry has got to a point where they feel as if the best way to do that is to show as many sort of pops and big moments as they can to entice you to see the rest of the film. But you're absolutely right. I mean, if you've seen, if you get to watch a trailer for a film that you're not completely convinced you want to see anyway, and you were talking about this earlier on, you know, you that could convince you that now you have no interest because you've essentially seen the movie. Yeah. And so the bits that you would have gone there for have been revealed. Well, look at Term the Terminator Genesis trailer as a prime example. Mm. It's not a great film. Only having one viewing, I still don't think it's as bad as other people made it out to be. Mm. Probably cru get crucified for saying that. But the plot twist oh, in the terrible. Terminator it's Genesis trailer is the big plot twist in the whole film. And if you hadn't seen that plot twist coming, the film might have been a little bit more interesting than yeah. it actually was. Yeah. But they gave it away in the trailer because... The director didn't cut didn't cut the trailer. It makes absolutely no sense. Yeah, I mean there are rare exceptions of directors now who still get final cut on trailers, but this is a, a dying phenomenon. I but think. I think it should be the way because then there's some surprise left, and I yeah. think you need to have a surprise left. Like Suicide Squad might have been more interesting to me if I hadn't seen all of it in the trailer. You know, Fast and Furious Seven, enjoyable as it was, you could see all of it in the trailer. There's even this plot twist given away in trailers. There's now trailers for bloody trailers in well, Star Wars. Yeah, plays. I mean, this this sort of brings us to a, a conversation that we can have another time, because obviously now we don't want to go on and on. But no. these films that you're mentioning... You can sense I'm angry about this. Thing. Right. The, <laughs> the majority of the films that you're mentioning, if not all of them, are huge-budgeted blockbusters, commonly summer blockbusters, or at least tentpole films. And I think there we are at such a point where it is just a, a financial exchange and that the gears just turning around to churn out X result from X input, you know. And when we... to make those films interesting that are that quite often, especially this summer, have just been terminally dull, mm. you need some form of surprise in them. Yeah. Oh, I'm, um, I'm with you. I'm absolutely with you. I'm just yeah. playing devil's advocate for the reason mm. I think that they exist. And I I don't want to be down on this, but I can't see it changing. Not with those kinds of films. I can't see it changing. If anything, I think it's going to get worse. And I think that it's going to have to be more and more on the regular filmgoer to just have the self-control to say, you know what, I'm not going to watch trailers for any of the big movies mm. that are coming out this summer. I have an approach now when I go to the cinema, and I'm sure you do too sometimes, where I know that there's going to be about 25 to 30 minutes of adverts and trailers. So I show up 25 to 30 minutes after the start time. That works for me, man, because then I don't get hit with these trailers. It's just a shame because, because if you think, you know, think back to some really good trailers, like if you think back, and I'll close on this in a minute, but the Miami Vice trailer, the Michael Mann mm. Miami Vice trailer, the trailer was much better than the film. Yeah. That trailer was amazing. Star Wars Episode 1 trailer, when that dropped, amazing mm. like trailers and the Dunkirk trailer Christopher Nolan's up and coming Dunkirk film that trailer's fantastic and it's a shame it feels like it's a dying art of how to make a trailer and there is art in making a trailer yeah absolutely right it's here we've sat down in our seats Paul the screen has lit up here it is our feature presentation for today and that is going to be a feature review of The Shallows The Shallows The Shallows Paul really? The Shallows yes Believe it or not, a film that I think both of us expected very little of may have surprised us a little bit. Might I wasn't have... even going to go and see it. I, would ju I laughed at the trailer. I thought that looked shit. It, it might have. It might have even taken us by surprise. Had a little nibble. I had a little nibble at us. 
Yeah, um, this is, uh, now this is going to be a challenge, directed by a, a person whose name I'm going to say is Jaume Coyet Serra, or John Collette Serra, I mean, take your pick, really, but... You... I'm not going to even try, I'm going to give you, <laughs> one of those is close. Though, those with uh, an attention for this kind of detail will know that he is the director of both Orphan from, I think, 2009. Which was another pleasant surprise. Yeah, creepy, creepy, surprising little Ukrainian girl turns out to be middle-aged woman film. Yeah, don't um, watch it now, he's ruined it for you. No, <laughs> just forget about it. It might be called The Orphanage, confuse it with that. Um <laughs> And also non-stop, which had Liam Neeson in it shooting. Was that taken everyone. on an aeroplane? It was taken on an aeroplane, Paul. Yes, it was Liam Neeson shooting guns all over an aeroplane, which is a great idea. Apparently, they recommend that. But the film itself. Let's focus on the shallows. Yes. The basic setup here. What are we dealing with in the shallows? I think you might have an idea if you've seen any publicity at all. But Paul, what's the what's the situation? So Blake Lively goes surfing and gets trapped by a shark in on a rock. Yeah. And the tide's coming in rapidly and she's in a lot of trouble. She gets attacked by the shark and then is stranded offshore and yeah. cannot get back to shore. Th this is succinct. I mean, there's there's a little backstory, isn't there, about her, her mother was pregnant That's not with the film her strength. When, yeah, <laughs> we have this wraparound, slightly yeah. saccharine story. But yeah, her mother was pregnant with her. She went to this beach. It's a special beach. She wants to find it again. At the beginning, she gets dropped off at the beach. It seems quite remote. Already, we feel like something is a little bit off just because the guy who takes her to the beach, a sort of Uber driver on a remote island, yeah. uh, tells her that, well, sort of refuses to or forgets to tell her the name of the beach, which is going to make it quite difficult to get her Uber pickup. I, think, do we, I don't think we ever find out what the beach is called. I think they even they? name it as an Uber, don't they? Don't they drop that I bit think so, yeah. They, they drop some placement in there. It's other, probably called Death Beach or something. Other <laughs> taxis are available, <laughs> yeah. guys. Uh, yes, so she gets dropped off there. She's got some skills at surfing. There's a pretty sick like surfing video, music video type section at the beginning. It's very stylized. Oh, it, it, it looks great. It does. It's thrilling, Paul. It's thrilling. She's she's tearing it up on the waves with a couple of uh, fellas who seem to be again a little bit off, a little bit sinister. And yeah, as you said, she gets stranded out. They've gone in. Trouble ensues. This is a genre film about a shark attack. Sounds like with Jaws in the rearview mirror, this is shit. Isn't I it? don't think it had any right to be any good, and I will reiterate that I laughed at the trailer and thought, "There's no way I'm seeing that." And I'm gonna have to say, I really, really enjoyed it. Mm. I just think it was at the end's a bit ridiculous, in fairness, but it doesn't feel out of touch with the rest of the film. Yeah, I just let, think it, let, let's not spoil anything because no one knows what happens. No, lively here. No, um, I won't spoil the end at all. But I just thought, yeah, I thought it was it was it was excellently paced throughout. It was very exciting, as Georgia. I'm so excited I can't even speak about this film <laughs> he's gone um, he's gone through Lally he started you, speaking in tongues yeah. <laughs> it's that good had you on the edge of your seat yeah. uh, throughout I think yeah I mean what impressed me most at least initially sort of in the setup section of the film is things like camera movement even from the time that she paddles out to go surfing, we get the sense that we're in the hands of someone who knows to handle a, how to handle a camera in a situation like this so the camera is constantly above the waves under the water, above the waves, under the water. So you get this like, sort of da, 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 yeah, a <laughs> little, little bit, little bit <laughs> like that, as if you know there's been a shark film made in the past. I guess there has, but yeah. But it's interesting that you bring it up because that should loom large here, right? You should be thinking, well, it's not Jaws. Come on, the Jaws compared to this, Jaws is a far superior. Oh, film. oh, oh, and oh. like Jaws, I think anyway they use the model shark for quite a lot of it, which makes mm. such a difference. Right. Unless I, unless that CGI is near nigh on flawless, they use the model shark, which makes 
such a difference. I mean, Not in every scene. There's certainly but... CGI here that I think for the most part is done pretty well. But yeah, I think there's some some sort of. But a... no, you sorry, you were saying Jaws. Yeah, and Jaws doesn't really loom large. No, it, that's the no, thing. it you doesn't. You don't really think of Jaws throughout. Which no, is, it doesn't. Which is and, good. And you've got this. You're all already kind of unsettled because you know it's not going to go well, but the camera makes you feel more so that feeling of, of unease. It's constantly bobbing up and down. It's making you feel a bit queasy. I jumped out of my skin about three or four times, I think, right. which is rare for me in the cinema to jump in the cinema. That's Remember very rare. we talked about um, It Follows, which I mentioned just a few minutes ago. Yeah. And in, fo- in It Follows, I told you that I did this thing where I'm like scanning the frame. I'm looking all around the screen, not at the central action necessarily, yeah. but where is the person? Yeah. Where's the person yeah. who's following? Oh, there's a grandma, but it's just a grandma. There's yeah. a dog. Oh, a dog can't follow. <laughs> and so on. In this film, it happened a little bit like that as well, where you're always looking around in the water like something's coming. Where is it? Where is it coming And then from? it doesn't, and then it does, right. and then it doesn't. But so many films do that badly, Yeah. but this did it so well. It's, yeah. It doesn't. In a lot of films, the sort of jump scares feel like a well-worn trope that you just sick to the back teeth of, but teeth. Shark pun. Um, <laughs> in this case, in this case, it just works, and I just think, yeah, it's it was such a pleasant surprise as a film. Yeah, very nerdy thing as well that I noticed here. But you know, we mentioned the shooting guns on a plane film nonstop by the same director. In that film, one thing that I noticed is uh, putting text messages on screen. <laughs> this is something in the modern age that I think a lot of directors have completely struggled with, or they've done silly things like where they point the camera at a phone and you have to try and read the text on it, and it's horrible. In this film and in non-stop, I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say that our friend uh, Colette Sarah is really at the forefront of putting technology on screen. I truly believe this, even though that is a point that I've heard criticised elsewhere about this film as being sort of intrusive. When they have that Skype call at the beginning, I've not seen that done better in another film putting those heads up displays on screen. When she goes diving and her watch is in the inset in the corner and you see splashes on the watch that's inset into the bottom of the screen, this is a lovely touch for me. Like, I enjoyed that a lot. It's not central to why I love this film, but it's a it's a flourish that you wouldn't have seen in an inferior film. No, and I think, yeah, that's the thing. I just think it's it's a it's a quality production throughout and a lot, you can tell a lot of effort and a lot of a lot of care's come into it. Mm. I think I, I, would, I would go as far to say that The Shallows with, as I mentioned earlier, I've been horribly disappointed with pretty much all of the big tentpole releases this summer. Mm. Um, and I was looking for a film like Edge of Tomorrow to come out of nowhere and almost rescue the summer, although Edge of Tomorrow came on the end of a fairly good summer, if I remember rightly. And what a film that is. Yes, absolutely. But I wanted, I was waiting for like the late summer sort of big big release to come in, and I didn't think it was coming, mm. and I certainly didn't think it would be The Shallows. Mm. And I have to say, I think The Shallows is probably the most fun I've had at the cinema this summer. It's was a sneak attack. Um, Right, devil's advocate here, Paul. I'm going to throw a few things about this film at you and you can respond to them. Um, This film objectifies Blake Lively. Correct. Really? Because I I kind of buy that to a certain extent, but I think actually there are are steps that are taken whereby, okay, she's got to wear a swimsuit. The camera's got to be close to her. These things, okay, she's a woman with a great body. She can't help this. Um, It doesn't hurt the film that she is an attractive central character. At the same time, I think choices like having her look genuinely not fully made up, you would be surprised how little that happens. I don't think it does it as much as you'd expect it to do it. No. Um, I think it does it 
as it does it as little as it can get away with doing, considering it's still a Hollywood film, and Hollywood films do do that with their female stars as part of their makeup. But no, mm. it's not as bad as you think it would be. I don't yeah, think. and and let's not forget in discussions we've had previously, this is a film about a woman who occupies ninety nine percent of the screen time. Yeah, completely anchors the film, holds it on the strength of her. And own it's a really good performance from Blake Lively. And shows well. we've, we've completely forgotten to mention the performance from Blake Lively. Right. It's actually very good. But we can come into this for a couple of seconds. I mean, she holds the film together. If it were a worse performance, you would be less interested in her situation and her, her plight. And she does all of this whilst being, cre- as the character anyway, being creative and self-reliant and not needing the help of the male protagonist who might come along and save the day. So for those reasons, I think the film should be applauded and not criticised on the basis of, you know, those no, things No, I agree with you, and I said, yeah, I don't, it, does, it, doesn't, it certainly doesn't over-objectify it in the way you would expect, in the way something like, like they would say if it was Jessica Alba in the role, or the, the, those, those, this sort of... You expect that kind of like the the surf movies. I've completely forgotten the film I'm talking about. Uh, Into the Blue, maybe. Into the Blue, yeah, Yeah. with that describer where it's just shots of sort of up and down shots of bikinis and six packs all the time, and that's that's not the case. Like your piranha, piranha three D, yeah, like your piranha three D kind of thing. And actually, no, that's not the case. Yes, she is in a bikini. Yes, she's an attractive woman, but I don't think it goes any further than it has to. Really. Now, now I know you, Paul, and I know you. You're a gamer. You're a man who likes a video game, as am I. But I think you take the crown in in that case. Something I noticed in this film, which might be familiar to gamers like yourself, that I thought was maybe at times a slight drawback, is the amount of self talk that she does. Now I understand the reason for this, <laughs> but when we've got a character saying. I need to get over to that rock. You know, I've got 20 minutes. I'm not sure, and I don't know how I'd react if I was being attacked by a crazed shark. Not sure I'm going to say all those things in those kind of... No, but... I'm going to say fuck a lot more. I I think, think. unfortunately, I think... uh, Filmmakers think that audiences need it, Mm. and audiences don't necessarily need it. Well, maybe some do, but Gravity suffered from it with Sandra Bullock Mm. and Gravity. She did exactly the same thing. And it's almost almost like they have to fill it and go, well... The audience won't work out what the character is going to do next unless the character says it. Mm. And yeah, they do it in video games as well, quite a lot. Um, and it, it, it that, frustrates me in video why, games as much as it frustrates me in films. Well, that's why I brought it up though, because I think that you and I and other gamers would be used to that device. Yeah. Because we're used to our character going, yeah. oh, what if I go and open those well, crates? The, the Witcher 3, <laughs> a storm is coming. As it, and it's, well, I know that, it's raining. I don't know why you've told me that. Yeah. Um, so you're, you're right. I mean, I think I've got to get in a, a defense of gravity and say that I think the self talking that is a little bit more oblique. Like, I think it's more sort of her complaining about like, her situation rather than just saying, I'm going to do this thing next. But it is there for sure. Is mm. it a, a valid take on that too? Um, yeah. So overall, coming out of the shallows, getting back onto the shore, and uh, you know, walking out of the cinema at the end of this film, pretty invigorating, pretty exciting, and pretty, as you said, pretty lovely surprise. Really, yeah. this film. Yeah, highly recommended. Absolutely. Yeah, cosine. So the film's finished, the credits are rolling, and who are we giving credit to this week, Pete? Well, as the credits roll, man, I think the pick for this week is is one that I'm quite excited about. It was only uh, yesterday evening that I was reminded of this thing coming out. Uh, There's a film called Lo and Behold, Reveries of the Connected World, and the director is one Werner Herzog. And this made me think this is a perfect selection for the first credit section of our show, because this is a director who has made, I think, such an impact on filmmaking, both in terms of fiction and non-fiction. I know for me that I've And got... he was a great villain in Jack Reacher. <laughs> True story. Uh, <laughs> Maybe I, not his high point. I've got... I enjoyed that quite a bit, though. That film is not good, but Werner's in it, so it's cool. I mean, for you, Paul, 
Werner Herzog, when you hear the name, what comes to mind? What do you think of the guy? And if you were going to recommend anything to listeners, what would you recommend? I'm going to hold my hands up here. What comes to mind is I haven't seen anywhere near enough of his films. Right. Um, he's always been... Everyone's got those filmmakers. Everyone's got those directors where you go, I need to see more of his films. Yeah. Herzog is one of these filmmakers for me. I need to see more of his work. That being said, I have seen a couple of his films, uh, you know, and then, then they do stand out. We've got one documentary, um, Grizzly Man, mm-hmm. which is about the man who goes to live with the bears. And if I'm not mistaken, the bears end up killing him. Uh, who knows what happens in that? You'll yeah, have to. There's another spoiler. Have to watch it for Strange the cinema spoiler cast. But, but, but um, I mean, to be fair, Paul, the the setup of man goes to live with grizzly bears yes. is probably not going to end in on oh, they're all mates. It's a fascinating it's documentary about a man who genuinely believes he can befriend the bears. And Herzog's documentaries are, you know, are renowned with good reason. Um, and Grizzly Man is a fine example of that. Yeah, sort of resting on Werner's uh, long-held belief that, or I forget exactly the quote, so I'm going to butcher it, but that all life is fundamentally based on like chaos war and murder or something along those lines Werner is not a man who is going to be uh, sort of whistling a happy tune in the morning and looking at you know all the beauty of the world but at the same time he is a man who fully acknowledges that that beauty exists in his movies I mean you mentioned um, Grizzly Man in the same kind of period we had uh, The Wild Blue Yonder which is uh, exploring underwater caves we had Cave of Forgotten Dreams which is looking at deep caves and sort of uh, creatures that have existed from years and years and years into the past the guy is fascinated by the fringes of human and natural life this film just to throw it out there to, to listeners as well, lo and behold, is going to be a series of sort of, um, you used the word earlier on, so I'll borrow it, but a series of sort of vignettes, I think there are about 10 to a dozen vignettes, which are connected and they're all about different aspects of the way the internet has changed, influenced and sort of shaped our modern world. And this would be you know, fairly interesting to me anyway as a sort of streaming documentary. But once you attach Werner to a project, you know that you're going to get this sort of um, unique perspective. And uh, uh, he's a man that fully deserves the title of auteur, which is thrown around an awful lot these days. Anything else? You you mentioned Grizzly Man. Anything else that that you... I mean, Port of Call New Orleans, for example, is one that I think we we both... Yeah, uh, yeah. And I think Port of Call New Orleans, um, to essentially take... To, well, Bad Lieutenant colon Port of Call New Orleans. Yes, to give yes, it its full right. title. To sign, can kind of take Bad Lieutenant, although it isn't. Is it a remake, or is it a remake? Is it or isn't it a he, remake? He claims that he had never seen uh, Abel Ferrara's version of that movie. Uh, yeah, but but this is when it hurts. Regardless, this is when it hurts. Of course, he'd say, "Come on, you're remaking this." Film. Of course, yeah. you've seen it. But, so, but but to manage to remake Bad Lieutenant and do it well, and to get a superb performance out of Nicolas Cage, not many directors can get. A superb performance out of Nicolas Cage. Yeah, and Herzog you channel that crazy. I mean, the film is back. The film is batshit crazy from start to finish, and does channel the crazy. You know, mm. I'm sure Nicolas Cage pretends to be a cat at least eight times there. Well, and, and um, who can who can forget? Shoot him again. Yeah. His soul is still <laughs> yeah, dancing, yeah. which is like my favourite moment in that whole thing. So, what, what else from Herzog? Just throw one other at me before okay, we close. I, I, feel, gonna, I feel we've not given Herzog enough time. But yeah, throw I mean, another one at me that I we should watch. Could, we could go on, you know, for, for ages about people like Herzog and influential directors to both of us, but we've got to keep this thing short. So, I'll leave you with this. One of the most memorable moments in any documentary film came in the documentary uh, Into the Abyss, which is all about inmates who are on death row in the United States. Werner interviews a prison or death row officer whose job it is to take prisoners to their execution. 
not a pleasant job. This guy is a, a, a man of faith, it seems, and also a very dull interview. He gives pat answers to everything, pat answers, pat answers, and Werner's getting nothing from him. He tells a story about how he goes across the lawn in a little golf buggy when he's going to do his job, and sometimes he stops because there's a squirrel, for example, that runs out in front of him. At this moment, and this is the reason why this is a filmmaker I love so dearly, Werner throws the question at him, describe an encounter with a squirrel. <laughs> that question takes the man who is serious and reserved and giving these sort of dull answers to a man who is weeping, thinking about the sanctity of life, both in the animal kingdom and in the world of human beings that he, you know, kills on a daily, if not, you know, weekly or, or monthly basis. It's a stunning moment in documentary filmmaking. And this from a director, this was five years ago, perhaps, a filmmaker who's now 73 years of age. I hope the guy lives forever and I can't compel people, you know, any more than I think we're doing here to just check out anything yeah, I think that's, that's, you know, it's, it's in the, cred the whole giving credit thing is a new feature. But I think, mm. you know, rather than us talk about them in great depth, find, out, you for haven't yourself. Looked, find out for yourself, have a look. And I think I think what we'll do is a, as a new a new feature, not a feature of the podcast, everything we've talked about today, trailers wise, We'll put the trailers up on Facebook. So the Hertzog films we've talked about, mm. we'll find some trailers. We'll put them up on the Facebook page. Absolutely. We'll interact more directly with you guys so you can see the trailers that we've talked about. Yeah. Check them out and let us know what you think. Yeah, and you know who would absolutely advocate the idea of going out there into the wild world and investigating for yourself? One Blake Ver Lively. <laughs> one Blake Lively. And <laughs> one Mr. Werner Herzog. So um, I think that rounds that off nicely. It does. This leaves us only to say uh, thank you so much for anybody who's taken the time to listen to, download and enjoy this, this yes. show. Uh, apologies for the break, those four people who've asked for us to be back. The other ones didn't ask for us to come back. We are back. Yeah, we're, we're back and if we have, you know, hundreds, thousands of listeners or none, we are delighted to be doing the show again. It, it fills me with pleasure to be here and, and sat across from, you know, my good found friend uh, Paul and just giving you some of our ideas about stuff that we've seen and, you know, stuff that we're into and that we talk about all the time anyway. We might as well record some of it, at least as, you know, sort of our own memory of these years yes. of our lives, if, if nothing else. Yeah. So. If you're interested in the show, get yourself over to the SoundCloud page. We're there, SoundCloud, Strangers in the Cinema. You can find all of the episodes of the podcast now, going back to the first trial that we had with Blue Ruin. Um, you can download directly from there. You can also get the podcast off places like iTunes and Stitcher and all the outlets that you would usually use for, for podcast downloading. Basically. Yeah, and uh, find us on Twitter on at Strangers Cinema or find us on Facebook at Strangers in the Cinema where you can check out, as I said, we'll do our best to upload all the trailers if they're available. Yeah. Um, and I would reiterate thank you for listening and hopefully we'll catch up with you next episode. Yeah, be back soon.